I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Hi, everybody. Jason Klom here. This is a special episode of Comedy on Vinyl. We are not picking one particular album as we normally do. Uh, We're going to talk about the influences of somebody who's in the room. I'll introduce them in a second, or maybe I won't. No, I will. Uh, It's a gentleman uh, who has voiced... We'll 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 get to it. But it's Rob Paulson. Rob Paulson's here. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm... You know, I'm breathing and I'm not in jail, but the day's not over yet. So as long as I'm here with you and your beautiful wife, I'm I'm sure to not get into too much trouble. I hope so. Yeah. So we, uh, uh, since we've been trying to get you on for a while, I wanted to... Yeah, and let me say, before you go on, <laughs> Uh-oh. your fans need to hear this. This man, are you sure your name isn't Job? Because you have the patience of Job. This fine young gentleman has tried for a couple of years anyway to get me on his podcast, and I... I uh, am so grateful to be here, and I, I want to make sure that you know, right here in front of God and everybody, that you hear that people here. It was totally unintentional. <laughs> I've been fortunate that I've been busy, but Jason has been. Um, uh, he, he's been very kind and um, uh, continued to ask. But you have walked that line beautifully, and you were never. Um, um, obnoxious about oh, it you never got offended or if you did you didn't let me know no, 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 and no. so you guys are listening to the um the podcast of a fine man you're a, you're really <laughs> terrific and That's thank you for nice having me you. that is too nice of you so My i have pleasure. a couple i have a couple ideas for this episode sure let's a mm. i want to talk about your influences that's the most important thing yeah um because i mean i uh I, I think number one would the one that pops into my head that i've heard you talk about at least uh, you, you did specifically mention Peter Sellers, totally. but I know that I've also heard you talk talk about and do some Derek and Clive, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Uh, I can't. I don't know what to do with my Derek and Clive. Oh, that's album. okay. I bring I, that I out. would embarrass I have me one. in front of your beautiful wife. I, I'd get. I'd get all. <laughs> my face would get all pink like my name. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is okay? Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Let's talk about your first comedy influence and maybe your first voice influence. My first comedy influence, probably was uh that i recall from television was probably either victor borga Mm -hmm. as i am half danish Mm -hmm. um or jonathan winters um many of us of a certain age i'm 60 so it's not unusual of people my age within 10 or 12 years either way uh to have had jonathan be a huge influence in their lives jonathan used to have as many of you may recall i think it was a show on cbs in which there was a period of of his show that a stagehand would throw Jonathan hats from off stage, mm-hmm. and he would just put on whatever hat, signifying a certain character, and he would just go. Yeah. Um, which of course w- was not only mind-blowingly entertaining, but to somebody who was predisposed, I don't know why, genetically or otherwise, to to finding that particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. It was just it it set me on fire, you know. Um, and Victor Borga too. Victor Borga, I thought, was a unique talent. In, in as I get older, I understand. And watching his his old videos, um, probably kinescopes in my case. Um, <laughs> I, I a unique talent in that he was a concert pianist and very qualified as a pianist, but had a level of humor that was um, 
that really was difficult humor. And by that, I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't about farts or dirty words or uh -huh. anything like that. And, um, and I just used to love watching Victor Borg. And by the way, to those of you young folks who don't know, look, check him out in B O R G E. Victor Borga was, um, uh, a very interesting um, comedian. So those two guys, I think, really started me going. Jonathan had the longest influence because he had a show that was on every week. And, sure. And every time we looked through the TV guide and every time that he was going to be on The Tonight Show, that was must-see TV to, to see Jonathan Winters. Um, but those two guys were big influences. In terms of... Um, comedy on vinyl how's that for a segue mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um probably the first records i heard were like the button-down world of bob newhart sure sure um oh rusty warren mm -hmm. um uh, i think those were probably the 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 records that i heard mm -hmm. um first uh yeah, but but in terms of watching on television and and having a direct influence to the to the extent that I still sort of um, refer to them in my own continued growth. Yeah, Jonathan Winters for sure, and Victor Borga as well. I can see, from uh, a, from being a kid. Yeah, I'm for a sure, young kid. Yeah, um, Jonathan Winters is is one who I I think comes up a lot, if only because. His voices, his characterizations were really fantastic. Oh, Even if man. they sounded like him a little bit, they were still so. Oh very... yeah, and his well, his his improv skills were just mm -hmm. ridiculous. That's why Jonathan, I mean Robin Williams, used to refer to him all the time. And of course, it was clear enough that Jonathan was a big influence to uh, Robin because Robin had him on Mork. You know, mm -hmm. um, another guy, well, actually guy and girl, Lucille Ball and Red Skelton also were big influences yeah. on me um, because of their shows. Um, but yeah, Jonathan was f utterly fearless. Ab excuse me, absolutely fearless, and would just jump in with both feet and swing for the fences. And I found that particularly um, fascinating. And in my own life, um, that attitude really served me well in auditions. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. Even especially, I've heard you talk about on other shows just how sometimes it's demanded of you that improv is just that's just how it happens oh sometimes. yeah and i talk to young actors all the time i mean uh, i was really lucky in so many ways to come out here at a time when um improv comedy i mean although it's always been part of the landscape capital steps and mm -hmm. ace trucking company and um fire sign theater and although they had scripted bits they were all improv guys too yeah but when i came out here um the groundlings were really starting to take off and so i became good buddies with phil hartman and john paragon and mm -hmm. um cassandra peterson and subsequently tress mcneil lorraine newman um all real sort of improv stars and um i tell actors who are interested in pursuing you know a similar line of work to, to myself and others you, whom you've had on your show that the improv skills are really integral, I think, to being a, um, a competent voice actor. N not um, because of the, of the necess necessity of doing live performance, per se, mm -hmm. but because um, uh, often... Oh, my parole officer's coming after us right now. <laughs> Surprise! Um, the, uh, it really helps 
in auditions, mm-hmm. uh, when you have the opportunity to be in front of producers who are contemplating giving you a job to be able to, you know, and they say, that's great, Rob. You got anything else? Oh, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, or if another actor who's really talented, if you're in a room and you're working with a guy like Billy West or Frank or Jeff Bennett and uh, or Tress or, or um, Lorraine and, and somebody throws you a, a really big juicy bone to be able to jump on it and not be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, improv has been a huge help in, in not only procuring work, but in the context of an actual recording session, being able to try stuff on the spur of the moment. Um, it, it it not only, I think, makes the whole project a little more, gives it a little more zip, but it it enables you to, to you know, draw a little bit of attention to yourself and show folks that you're not afraid to play. And, yeah. And they they want that because um, uh, it, it just adds another dimension to your to your character and your ability to interact with other people. Right. Now, uh, how how early did you end up out here? Start How'd you get into voiceover? I started out, like most people my age, I started out um, primarily doing... Um, I, I was a singer first. Mm-hmm. My mom was a singer. My dad had done a lot of theater, but I really, really... I, music has been such a huge part of my life since I can literally... Since I can remember. And um, so I was a singer who... Um, started doing. Um, oh, that's okay, Mike. My, my goodness, that's a heavy kitty. That's a very. That's fat a healthy cat. kitty. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, what's your kitty's name? Lilu. Hi, Lilu. Where's Stitch? <laughs> I know. Sorry, just teed up for me. Um, I uh, I started doing theater mm-hmm. and improv after I became a singer. Okay. Uh, I joined a theater company to travel around the country doing live theater for a couple of years. After high school, I was enrolled at the University of Michigan. I attended for probably 37 minutes. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I really desperately want to be in the entertainment business. So I uh, spent a year and change traveling around the United States and Canada doing theater. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I went back to Michigan, uh, from where, which is where I was born and reared, Detroit and Flint. And... Um, uh, went back and was in a rock and roll band, a really excellent cover band. Our originals were terrible, but it gave me incredible experience and more importantly, live experience in front of audience, audiences all around the Midwest and the state, essentially being a human jukebox. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, so that's where I started to develop my ability to think on my feet. And, um, and then I moved to California in the late 70s, June of 1978, mm-hmm. I moved to California. I was 22. So I was relatively young, but I had a also relatively large amount of experience for my age. Sure. Because, um, you know, you can argue now it was a good or bad decision to leave school. But having left school, I would jump right into live performance every day for years. Mm-hmm. So by the time I'd moved to California at 22, I'd already known what it was like to screw up on stage, to audition, to get the job, to not get the job, to blow it, to get it right, to do a great job, to do a shitty job, um, work with other actors. Uh, I had always for my own enjoyment um, as a result of my desperate love for the people we've already mentioned, Jonathan Winters, Red Scout, and Lucille Ball, and um, uh, Victor Borga, all of that, but then subsequently got into the Pythons and Peter Sellers and the Goons and and um, 
not only develop a skill at working on dialects, but then making my own characters and singing in character. Okay. Which, which little did I know that would end up being a huge sure. advantage and a huge arrow in my quiver, so to speak. So yeah, I was 22, and it took me probably about a year to get an agent. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I was off to the races. Yeah. I, uh, I had been in New York and had been in L.A. before I moved here full-time, but L.A. had the beach, mm -hmm. and I'm a car fanatic, uh -huh. so I got to come out here and be surrounded by all these uh, marvelous sports cars that absolutely, my, you know, my passions were hockey and um, performing and anything with an engine, cars, motorcycles, lawnmowers, you name it. <laughs> so uh, this was the place, and it would turn out to be the right move. Now that's the right time, and this this is well, what you I was got hoping. That. You're right, Ben. You, yeah. you you coming out not just for your career, but did you ever have you ever been on any comedy albums? I have to assume you have. Um, comedy albums? Yeah. Because um, if so, I'm going to find them. I'll you have to probably them will. I, I don't know that I've been on any comedy albums. I. That's crazy. I mean, of course, me. Steve Martin was the the big the the first albums that I recall selling, like rock and roll records, were mm -hmm. "Let's Get Small." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. And the, maybe the Pythons. I don't know that the Pythons ever moved the kind of records that Steve Martin did. I, Probably or, not. Or, 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 you know, George Carlin. Yeah, sure. Um, and George, obviously, I lived, listened to the Hippy Dippy Weatherman. And, mm -hmm. and George, of course, I remember George Carlin long before he became George the Hippie Guy. Yeah. George used to be on The Tonight Show. So straight. Oh, narrow tie, mm -hmm. short cropped hair, the typical um, guy you'd see in New York at Catch a Rising Star or mm -hmm. the Comedy Store or whatever. Uh, but George was a very typically dressed guy, and then in the late '60s, he he kind of, you know, made that that change to be a um, uh, a little bit of a uh, a rebel, not only in terms of his picking up the mantle of Lenny Bruce, sure, but in terms of the way he looked and presented himself. Definitely. And uh, he kind of opened the door for many many people. To, to be sort of who they are, Sam Kinison and and um, um, even people on the other side of the spectrum who didn't always wear a suit like Skip Stevenson and and um, George Miller, you know, um, for the longest time it was you just come out and have a suit on, a suit yeah. and tie. Yeah. Um, and so George, whom I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times, um, was... Uh, I'm preaching to the choir, but yeah, he he certainly was influential as well, and bold, and again, a risk taker, fearless. Sure, that is a huge. Billy West coined that phrase, and I'm sure he would say he didn't really coin it, but he's one of my dear friends. So every time I say fearless, I have to look back to Billy because Billy will say, "Yeah, you really do. You have to be unafraid to try things. You you have to, you know, you're only as good as you dare to be bad, sort of thing." Yeah, you know. But I don't know that I've actually been on comedy records. That I can think of. I love that you've done so much work, though, that you're not a hundred percent sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I, I know that a lot of times, um, well, Animaniacs were ostensibly comedy records, but sure. but they were pretty much all music, and mm -hmm. of course, I'm all over those. Yeah. Uh, but I only ask because I mean I know that I know that Tress McNeil, who's by the way one of the other people that I'm I've been fighting and fighting oh, and fighting God. to get on. I love her so uh, much. Uh, she, you know, uh, she. I mean, she's on. Oh, a Weird Al single. Yeah, she's close. She knows Al. A few other things like that. You know, I know that she's probably done other stuff. So and I know that well, I she's found... done videos, too. She was in... Oh, right, um, yeah. Yeah, she was in... Um, 
who did oh ricky you're so fine you're so fine mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that was a weird al parody she did she's is that in, right she's, where she yeah, played she's lucy. in lucille ball yeah. yeah yeah it's so good and she's so good yeah she's so <laughs> so talented that, that, oh, man and then I know that I've also I found I cannot I wish I'd bought it there was a comedy record uh, comedy music album that Jess Harnell is in oh really yes and I'm an idiot because I didn't buy it because it's oh. one of those things that I like I, I, this is a thing and I'll show you in a minute I've been kind of like trying to compile like voice actors in on comedy albums because yeah. it's of interest to me um, and that's why I thought I'd you know I did a buddy of mine is Fire Sign Theater's archivist. Oh my god! And he said he said he was doing Walla for a Wizard of Oz, a restaging of Wizard of Oz audio audio thing, and that you might have been on that, which is not comedy. Uh, I I could have been. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. With with uh um. I know that David Osborne worked on it. Yeah, and Phil Proctor. And yeah, Phil yeah, yeah. Proctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phil mm-hmm. called. That's right. I did do that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Phil, just brought I've it up because. The, the, a lot of them, Gary, Phil, um, they all, uh, Peter, they all worked on The Tick with us. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. were all um, in and out of The Tick cast. Yeah. And so Phil, yeah, God bless him. Phil, it was <laughs> he's such a delightful guy. And he called me years ago about being in this production of The Wizard of Oz. That's right. I was in that. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and um, it doesn't surprise me if Jess ended up in a comedy record because Jess has done so many sound-alike singing gigs okay that makes and sense he's really good at it makes sense uh have you ever met jess no oh because i mean he does a killer michael mcdonald a killer john bon jovi killer uh ozzy osbourne i mean his own singing voice on its own is oh he's a marvelous gorgeous oh, but he's he's so talented yeah but he's he's really so that wouldn't surprise me at all if he were on comedy records as a performer he's responsible for me as a child thinking i could do a liverpool accent excellent you know well he does all four beatles and they're very clear it's so good he does them when he sits in front of you he goes from beetle to beetle beetle and you can and it's it's utterly breathtaking how clearly defined they are yeah crazy oh that's so hard yeah ringo's the hardest one to get Mm -hmm. i think although it's harder it's also hard to differentiate george is in between john and paul in this weird way it's it's, i I can't do crazy and jess absolutely does it and mm-hmm. and changes the tone just enough to you go oh my god that is ringo awesome. that is george it's crazy that's amazing yeah does there uh, do you like the challenge of mimicry or do you have a bag of tricks where you're i know i can do these ones and i'm good I, to go i like the challenge but i'm not very good at it uh-huh. I, I i'm smart enough to know and i think one of my strengths has been knowing what i'm not strong at mm-hmm. um you know it doesn't take long when you come to L.A., especially you start hanging around with other actors and performers. And in my case, I was a singer first, but a lot of guys like Maurice and um, uh, Billy, John DiMaggio, um, these guys are really good stand-ups first. Yeah. And um, uh, in Mo's case, or Kevin Michael Richardson, it, it doesn't take long to hear them when they do their imp- impressions. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing how good they are. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Jess, too, to a large extent. Jeff Bennett is another one. Just, uh-huh. And Jeff was a, a, a stage actor before he started doing voice work. But when you hear people do it that well, I I knew that I wasn't that good at it. I'm a good actor and a good singer. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm a good improv guy. I'm pretty good with dialects. And there are a couple of impressions I do pretty well. But I'm better at creating my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm creating it out, out of doing a bad impression right. sure, of somebody's sure. good impression. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah. still come up with I tweak it and I've got a new character. Mm-hmm. 
but um, I like the challenge, but uh, I don't fancy myself an impressionist or um, a world-class uh, guy in that regard because they're you know and animaniacs we had freddie trevelina and uh-huh oh jesus you know why bother and, and welker <laughs> too frank you know yeah, 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 frank of course. can do it so I, there are this is hollywood for god's sake there, you know there are good impressionists and fine com comedians are a dime a dozen mm -hmm. and many of them happen to be people who have been to my house and my kids birthday parties mm -hmm. so i don't even I, I play to my strengths and uh and i try to learn from these people and they're always they're always inspiring. Yeah. But I, I, I can't compete in that arena with those folks. Frank Welker could do a, an impression of the wind and oh, Jesus. be blown away. No, I, man, I don't I, get how he does noises oh, so well. I, I've been, me. I remember the f one of the first times I worked with Frank at Hanna-Barbera years ago. I was, doing, I was a regular on a show called The Snorks, which was essentially yeah. <laughs> Smurfs Underwater. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hanna-Barbera's going, God, this makes me a shitload of money. How, am I, how, how can we squeeze some more dough me out of this? Well, let's put him underwater. Okay. <laughs> so I remember Frank was on that show and doing every sound effect. And the Gordon Hunt, the, our beautiful, wonderful director, said, Frank, in this episode, we have this lobster and you got to do these sounds. And in this scene, the lobster sneezes. And he made this sound that was so odd. Mm -hmm. It was this liquidy, crustacean-y, upper respiratory infection mm -hmm. sound that I've never experienced. And he did it on the spur of the moment. Yeah. He, he is so crazy remarkable. I probably yeah. worked with Frank, I don't know, 300 times in my life. And, mm -hmm. and every time there's something that just blows your mind. You know, he's, we do Curious George now for PBS. Uh -huh. And he is George. And uh, I, I mean, it, it's just crazy how he... Uh, makes all these chimpanzee monkey sounds and never speaks but can can uh um get across to the audience what he's saying mm -hmm. like you don't even really need subtitles right it is a remarkable skill but over and above that and all of the people about whom we're speaking including the folks that you you've had on your show are the nicest yeah most down-to-earth people and i'm here to tell your audience that if you get the option opportunity to meet any of these people You'll be blown away at how genuinely kind they are. Yeah. No pretense. It's not about how big their boobs are, how big their muscles are, anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just they're they're so gifted. Yeah. But they are still driven by the same passion that they were years ago. Sure. When we got into this business, not for the money. I mean, I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is way better, mm -hmm. especially if you like sports cars. Sure. <laughs> but um, the the thing that drives us to continue to want to be on shows like yours and go to work and audition when we've auditioned a million times and we still want to work is because we it's a jones we can't not do it yeah. and and you'll find that these are um and i having had spent you know 40 years as a performer for money and 35 or 36 years in hollywood with a sag card uh, you, you will never meet more delightfully um gifted but utterly kind people than folks on this side of the business and the same was true with um, Phil Hartman and and um, so many of the people who were um, you know John Lovitz and well, John's clearly still around. I saw him the other day, but um, they're, they're really really decent people. Yeah, and they want to help. They're um, if they have the time, they want to tell you, you know, what they did, how you can apply what they did to your life, and just the kindest, sweetest people around.
but Rob, before we go on, don't downplay the size of your boobs. They are fantastic. Oh, thank you. you, you I, know, well, I appreciate I, that. I, I, and I didn't want to sure. tell anything, but Jen, when I walked by, she gave me a little squeeze. Yeah. Well, and I thought, wow, it's so nice that you swing both ways, and I've only known you 30 seconds. It's hard to resist. And I love it when a beautiful woman squeezes my boob. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Happy holidays indeed. Yeah. Um, I, I love that you said this very sincere thing, and I had to be the asshole. Who no, 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 please. Um, my wife would have been here, and she would have said, oh, Rob, please. <laughs> but I've been married for, you know, 35 years, and so she, she knows, she already knows what she's in for. Um... Yeah, there's this, uh, just to go back to Frank Welker for a moment, it does make me think of exactly what you're talking about with Jonathan Winters. Mm. It's that same just instant, but it, but it's also, Jonathan Winters is, is one of those actors who doesn't have that, or didn't seem to have that bag of tricks. Mm -hmm. Or if he did, it was really well hidden, mm -hmm. which is like the same thing with like a Frank Welker. How the hell do you pull that out of nowhere? It's not from nowhere. No, I think Frank, but see... Jonathan was a unique stand-up. I mean, I mm -hmm. didn't know Jonathan personally. Frank yeah. and Jonathan were friends. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked with Jonathan half a dozen times, and the first time I worked with him at Hanna-Barbera was just fantastic. We were doing Smurfs. He was Grandpa Smurf, I believe. Oh, okay. And because um, Papa Smurf with Don Messick, who also was the voice of mm. um, um, Baba Booey. He was the voice of uh, Baba, Baba... Yeah, Baba Booey on... Uh, no, my, Baba Lulu... But, Baba, Baba Bowie? Well, they call him Howard's oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Quick Draw and Baba Louie, Baba Louie. Ba oh, right. And he was go. also the voice of um, uh, the Ranger and Papa Smurf. And, and so and, and I was also on, on Johnny Quest, the second iteration of Johnny Quest. I was Haji. Okay. Oh, okay. And, jo and um, uh, Don Messick was the original voice of Dr. Quest okay. when Tim Matheson was Johnny Quest. And then when they did the second version in the mid-'80s, he was still on the show. That was pretty mind-blowing to me. But anyway, I got to work with Jonathan the first time on Smurfs in the, uh, I think, late 80s. And um, when we got done, I just, I didn't want to stop talking to him for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So he said, where are you parked? And I, we walked out there. He did 10 minutes, 20 minutes for me in the parking lot. <laughs> Mine, and because he couldn't not do it. Yeah. The same yeah. thing that I was just saying about Frank and Jeff and me and Billy and Mo. We can't not do it. We hopefully have the temerity to understand when to rope it in. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, mm -hmm. I don't think often did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, and he would be the first to tell you, um, I, 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 he had some issues that were a blessing and a curse. They were blessings for those of us who were fans. Sure. But I believe were pretty difficult for him and his wife. I would um, imagine. Because he, he had, like Robin, mm -hmm. God rest his soul, he had issues. Um. And so Frank is different in that uh, um, Frank had a scripted bit. Mm -hmm. um, and Frank also was an actor like Jonathan, like Jonathan was in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World mm -hmm. and um, a bunch of other stuff. Um, uh, but I remember watching Frank on the Donna Shore show and um, other uh, Mike Douglas, uh, Merv Griffin, where he would be, you know, young comedian and yeah. come out. But he was also in How to Frame a Fig with Don Knotts and the computer wore tennis shoes mm -hmm. with Kurt Russell. Um, so they were similar to that extent, Frank and Jonathan. But but Frank has a side of him that is, um, I mean, you wouldn't know that Frank is who he is unless you knew who he was. Okay, sure. You know, you meet Frank, he's a very low-key, like me, average-looking guy, nice to meet you, just delightful, low-key. But then you turn him loose and, and or set him off and... 
and he, off he goes. And it's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Jonathan was an odd dude. Yeah. Um, in a in in not an off-putting way. Sure. But but he you know Frank is was not like that. Frank is not like that. So uh, where it comes from in Jonathan's case, I think fearlessness, but probably also a sense of literally being a little tweaked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're all tweaked to some extent because you you have to be a little bit odd to decide I'm going to go into something. I mean, re literally, I have the all of us who are lucky enough to do this and come be on your show. The odds of us making our living as performers and paying our rent and putting braces on our kids' teeth mm -hmm. when we came from, in Frank's case, Colorado, or in Jonathan's case, Ohio, or in my case, Michigan, Coulier's the same thing, Dave's from Detroit. Mm -hmm. The odds of us being here 30 years later are astronomical. Sure. We really literally would have had probably more, more uh, uh, likely would have been you know, uh, an astronaut mm -hmm. because we go to school and then we go to the next step and the next step. But really, we understand how fortunate we are. But in, in terms of Frank's um, story, uh, I, I think Frank is a little more normal than Jonathan was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he has this mental Rolodex and can pull things out. And um, he had a structured show. You know, he did his own five minutes when it was television, mm -hmm. half an hour when it was a club, 20 minutes, whatever. And I'm sure Jonathan did too, but so much of Jonathan's act, just like Robin's, was getting up on stage and off you go. Yeah, yeah. And and without a net. Mm -hmm. Now, for the audience, it's freaking great. Sure. I remember the first time I saw Robin was he had just uh, done the pilot for Mork and Mindy. Oh, wow. And so I saw Jonathan in the mid-70s, late-70s. And uh, yeah, late seventies, and um, he was on stage at the Improv juggling water, and it was the funniest goddamn thing I ever saw in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, when you put somebody like that who is so gifted on a stage with another person who is, by most accounts, a funny guy, it's so almost painfully obvious how out of their league the normally funny guy is when mm -hmm. a guy like Jonathan or Robin or somebody who's really unique I mean a generational talent mm -hmm. is up next to them I remember seeing a performance of uh, John Ritter was on stage who was a stand-up and a funny guy by all accounts right but I remember seeing um, pardon me um, John Ritter on stage um, he was already on Three's Company so he had a you know had a, a TV queue people knew who he was and he was funny yeah Glib, handsome, funny, clever. Then Jonathan, I mean, Robin was in the audience and they were friends. Mm -hmm. So he said, Robin, come on up on stage. And and there was no possible way that John could keep up with him. Yeah. And it wasn't because John, John was not talented. Yeah. But John and everybody was pretty much out of their league when, when Robin was doing what he did. Yeah. So... This kind of a, you know, clearly I have no trouble rambling, but this kind of goes back to my your question about, am I interested in the challenge of mimicry? Sure. Well, I know when I don't have any business trying to compete mm -hmm. with the people who are with me. Right. I'm, I'm smart enough to say, Kevin Michael Richardson is starting to riff now and going from impression to impression. I can keep up with him if I'm feeding him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I can keep up with him if he engages me but I'm not gonna try to out-impression him. Of course, right. Because when I saw John and Jonathan on stage, 
watching John try to keep up with with uh, Robin rather. I'm sorry, John and Robin. Mm-hmm. Watching John trying to keep up with Robin improv wise, impossible. I would imagine. And it's and, and it's because Robin was, get really gifted. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's the second time I've heard a story about John Ritter and Robin Williams on stage, yeah. which is interesting. Somebody yeah, else and, has told me a story. And I didn't know John, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know Robin. I, I know his daughter, Zelda, pretty well. She's mm-hmm. on Ninja Turtles now. Oh, okay. And she's just delightful. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart. Um, uh, so, I mean, you can't do that kind of work that, that Robin and Jonathan did without being smart. Mm-hmm. Y- you may be tweaked as well. Uh, but most really good comedians are not stupid people. They're they're sure. pretty bright. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I hope that uh, I, I'm, I ramble, but boy, that, that's why I, I was so excited to do this show because this is stuff that is so deeply interesting to me and and, um, and I love talking about this stuff. Well, I'm interested in people's origins and stuff. And I yeah. mean, it, and it's and it's weird. I mean, obviously, I you know, I just I do my own stuff, but. Are you I'm an actor always, too? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I, but I mean, I like to have people on who have not just influenced me, but you realize, like, I, I lived in England and Germany for the basically the first seven years of my life. Wow. And I moved here in '88. And the, what's the one like piece of pop culture I can latch onto that everybody else Cartoons. is into, specifically Ninja Turtles? Oh, dude, yeah. Yeah, and so Las Tortugas Ninjas. <laughs> exactly right. And interestingly, in in the UK, weren't they called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles? Yes, that's what I hear. Is because that because Ninja connotes some sort violence, of violence? Yeah, even though they, you that's know, crazy. got swords and size and nunchucks and et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but that that is apparently it. The toys oh man, have that on it too. And dude, I. And do that because your beautiful wife is here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that no pun intended, but what an evergreen franchise! Oh right? yeah, oh, holy yeah. crap! I, yeah. Having been had two rides in the turtle van now, <laughs> it is mind blowing. Yeah, it's arguably bigger now than it's ever been. Yeah, I think because of the it's cross generational. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't <clears throat> don't know what it is about it necessarily. I just, yeah. I just knew that. Raph was a smart ass and mm-hmm. was therefore my favorite thing on the show. And then I remember. Well, and that's part of the reason I got the gig. And, yeah, yeah. And the and the um, the producers will tell you that because part of my improv when I would, would do the show initially, like they mixed and matched for the before we got cast in stone, and I I did improvise a couple of smart ass things because they were inspired by the the type of writing that I saw, mm-hmm. and they said Raphael is kind of the hot hot head and. And uh, so I would take that and ran with it. And so right. they said, okay, right, you're pretty good at being a smart ass, so you be Raphael. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I took that show kind of seriously. Like, I'd get annoyed if people would just make pizza jokes. I'm, like, as a kid, I'm sure, like, was way too into it, oh, you know? But you know what? But you weren't the <laughs> so only invested. one, man. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm telling you, my son, it was, how old are you? Uh, 30, 36. Okay. So you're, you guys are in the same age range as my boy. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, oh, what a gift to be able to be... One of the Ninja Turtles with a seven-year-old boy. I bet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we were so, and it was great for both of us because, obviously, um, to be able to have something that your kid didn't think you were a total goofball, like holy shit, my dad's Raphael. <laughs> so the following exchange happened often at at our home, and that would be that the phone would ring, and my son Ash would pick up the phone and say, "Hello." Yeah. Oh, hi, Jason. Yeah, how you doing? No, yeah. No, no, yeah, he really is. <laughs> no, he is. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Well, hang on. So, okay. Hey, Dad, it's Jason. He wants to talk to Raphael. <laughs> so, hey, Jason, it's Raphael. Kyle Bunga, dude, and Turtle Power, you know. Go Green Machine. Yeah, see, I told you. Okay, yeah, later. Click. <laughs> you know, that happened a lot. And 
of course, I, I was a hit at career day, bring your parent to work day. Mm -hmm. I felt I used to feel so bad for the other parents. <laughs> Because, you know, little Jessica would stand up and say, this is my mom. And, um, you know, Jessica's mom is a, a CPA. She's a certified public accountant. She's going to tell you what that means. And <laughs> here's Michael's father. And Michael's father is a, a, a hedge fund administrator. And this is Ash Paulson's dad. And he's Raphael. Oh, and I'm, all the parents look at me like, you asshole. You know, that's just my gig, you know. Yeah. So that was huge. And and all of his buddies were way into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was not like just this... Oh yeah, my kids kind of dig turtles. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Right. My kids have turtle underwear. They sleep in turtle sheets. They have turtle toothpaste. Yeah. When they cut themselves, it's turtle band-aids, turtle braces, everything. So I, I was incredibly fortunate not only to be part of, you know, the the clean sheet of paper mm -hmm. thing and turned out to be an iconic role, but now to meet people like you and everywhere I go and not just here around the world. Mm -hmm. Um. If people find out who I am, uh, the turtle thing brings such an incredible um, depth of joy. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that's so great about being around now and, and having lived and continue to work and be relatively relati relatively relevant in Hollywood still is that uh, I had no idea because you know, nobody would not notice me walking down the street. Mm -hmm. I'm just an average looking guy and they say, an actor, well, great. Well, every, every other person with a pulse is an actor mm -hmm. in LA. But so now when I get to meet people, uh, and because animation is so ubiquitous and these conventions are so ubiquitous and they pop up all over the place, you know, I had no idea, you guys, the extent to which these characters have had such a profoundly, uh, virtually always positive effect on people. Yeah. And it is so incredibly wonderful. Um, it's this emotional remuneration that I never would have known. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for shows like yours and my podcast and meeting people all around the world who either say, oh, my God, you you and your buddies, not just me, obviously, but you and the people with whom you work made such a great influence on my career, made the happiest times of my life. Or mm -hmm. conversely, but for Ninja Turtles or mm -hmm. Pinky and the Brain, I had a really difficult time as a kid. man. Yeah. My childhood was miserable. My parents got a divorce or whatever. My mother had breast cancer and passed away, but the only thing that got her through her chemo was pinky in the brain. So when I hear you do that voice, the tears that I'm crying are not, they're tears of like, oh my God, it was a, such a sad time. And but for that, mm -hmm. it would have been miserable. Who knew? Yeah. It's such an incredible gift to, to be able to experience that now. That's awesome. Oh, it's that's so good. Mind blowing. I think yours is the first voice where I I didn't I wasn't smart enough to know what a credit was right mm -hmm. so yours is the first first voice where I'm like wait a minute that's that's Raphael Sounds like the same guy yeah that's Raphael like I, but but I was proud of myself because it's like not the same voice I was like that's what you learn yeah you oh, know totally. you know you learn to pick it up I think Jim Cummings was the first name I learned when I finally right. well, learned probably you were a Disney guy because he was every other Disney oh of course Darkwing he was Duck yeah, and... yeah yeah the Darkwing Duck yeah. was the first big one I was me. a I played a guy named Steelbeak on that show holy shit. Yeah, that was me, still big. Holy shit. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. It was great. I love Jimmy. Oh, that's so good. And then I think Billy West, I think Billy West was one of those where he's like, oh, I, I, maybe I could sound like that. Like, because yeah, nobody else, you know. Yeah, a similar you know. voice print. Were you, did you first discover him on Howard? 
I no, uh, uh-uh, uh, my parents wouldn't was have it, let me was listen it to Doug? that. It would have been no, and I, I don't think I even knew oh, that he Stimpy. was Doug. It was Ren and Stimpy yeah. first, absolutely. And Ren and Stimpy was the first big like influence on me comedically. It's like a sketch comedy, right? Oh yeah, and stuff. Yeah, so, and John Crystal Lucy too. Oh, those God. guys were sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've tried to get him on the podcast. He's a disturbed. All cat. of his responses back to me are complete nonsense. Oh yeah, he's, and it's, like, it's he's great. a disturbed guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't and, doubt. Um, <laughs> But he's the first one to admit it. I don't know him. Yeah. But uh, I hear him and I know him through Billy. Sure. Uh, but yeah, he, he can, you know, um, I mean, a lot of people in our business are a little bit tweaked. But you know that. <laughs> sure. You know, and and um, I think that this, the, the trick is trying to be tweaked and, and sort of unleash it when it's appropriate. Yeah. And then, you know, go home and try to deal with your children and, mm-hmm. and your spouse and pay your taxes and act like a normal person. Because it behooves you that to to be such. Yeah. It does. It's not always appropriate to be a whack job. Right. Yeah. I think it also then I, again it's one of those things where you know as a kid you don't realize that comedy can be a profession. Not that it is for me. Or that uh, voices. Well, but same it is thing. in a lot of respects. And and I think you know for you, I, 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 it can be an avocation. Sure. But you're also you guys are young, you know, and and um. It's always nice to be able to pay your rent, and and pay your bills doing something that you would essentially do for free. For sure. And you're talking to a lottery winner. I mean, mm-hmm. I go to work every day with people whom I would choose to have at my home, mm-hmm. personal friends, and then I give me a check. Sure. So I am, you know, with all due respect to Lou Gehrig and Pride of the Yankees, I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Sure. However, the truth is that I would be doing this in some capacity even if I were making my living selling cars. Sure. Because it is a passion. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being here at your apartment, it's clearly a passion for you guys too. And you know, your or wife a is a photographer. Nobody needs twelve cameras. She's but got it's more a, than that. Well, it's a passion, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and sure. so, it, it, whether or not you're ma- the goal can be that's how I'd like to make my living. Well, sure, sure. But but that doesn't mean that it's. Are, you can argue that people who don't do it for whatever reason, don't end up doing it to pay the rent. I think you can make a really a really good argument that the people who do it because it satisfies their soul are doing it for the purest of reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most people don't get to make money making funny voices for a living. For sure. Um, that doesn't mean they're not good at it. Right. And especially with the advent of YouTube and all oh, this God, great yeah. recording equipment that works beautifully in the privacy of your own home, you can put stuff out for literally millions of people to hear whatever you want to hear. Sure. It doesn't cost you anything. Right. Oh man, I I I I think it's wonderful that people have these incredible platforms now to share their their art mm-hmm. or whatever tickles their fancy with other people. You know? No, I agree. I agree. It's uh I have an idea and there's a pile of albums here. Mm-hmm. And I maybe I, you probably haven't heard them. I haven't heard them yet. Oh, I, I you know out of four hundred some albums, I've Jesus heard about gosh. a quarter of them. You yeah. know, um, and I just want you to I want to get your thoughts or or maybe reminiscences of a few of these artists. Sure, a couple of them we've already talked about. And actually, Great. I'll just I'll just uh, uh, just because this is wait, where did that come from? No, no, no ask away, and I'd love um, to talk. Yeah, we already talked about Jonathan Winters, and yeah. I finally had a guy that's a great cover. Oh um, yeah. Okay, so this one. This is insane. This is Paul Freese. Oh God! This is Paul Freese singing in with impressions. In, in character, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, he. I, I never got to meet Paul. Uh huh. Um, I was obviously a big fan. I, by the time I came out here, since I was in my twenties, uh-huh. I knew who everybody was. I knew sure. 
Paul Fries, um, uh, Jay Ward, Bill Scott, June mm-hmm. Foray. June and I have gotten to be good friends. She just turned oh, 99. That's crazy. Um, oh, my God. Uh, uh, all of them. Um, um, Hans Conried, Edward Everett Horton. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all, uh, uh, Bill Conrad, huge influences. Mm-hmm. I never got to meet Paul Fries. Corey Burton did. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy that's just super, super crazily talented. Um, but boy, was he something, Paul Fries. Oh, God. Crazy talent. This is an insane album. I yeah. wouldn't necessarily say, "Hey, go out and buy it if you can find it." Because I've never nuts. seen it. Never it's heard of nuts. it. Nuts. Like the first, the first song is him doing W. C. Field singing. Mama told me not to come. Oh, how about that? Mama told. It's just well, that. See, and what's, you know what's fascinating <laughs> is that on my podcast, I have done episodes where I have my characters singing, like Pinky singing Led Zeppelin, yeah. and uh, yeah. <laughs> Yakko singing Elton John. I don't know why that's so funny. Carl Weezer singing Pink Floyd. <laughs> And the audience loves it. Yeah, you know, so I totally get that, and it's not a new thing. But Paul, right. I, w- I, I would love to hear that someday because I, I yeah, I, well, I, I'll, I'll, I will rip it and I will send it to you. Thanks, pal. Because uh, I haven't done that yet. So, a few, just a few ideas here. So we got Mama told me not to come in the voice of W. C. Fields. Raindrops keep falling on my head as Humphrey Bogart. Oh, fantastic. Um, let it be. Oh, Charlie Chan is one of the voices. Maybe, maybe that wouldn't be one I wouldn't put on there. <laughs> Um, Boris Karloff, uh, Peter Lorre. Of course, you have to have Peter Lorre. Of course. Edwin. Oh, see, now that's... I just did Edwin the other day on uh, (laughs) Powerpuff Girls. They had me do Edwin. That's so good. Yeah, I love that guy. Let's go fly a kite, you know. (laughs) Easily one of my favorite voices of all time. I mean, on his... It's so weird to have... It must have been weirder for him to have an iconic voice and then people just get paid to do him. Rip it off. Sure, I remember... um, Another guy you still really love was Pat Buttram. I had was, a feeling that was coming. You up. know, uh, yep, there you go. Yeah, I have not listened to this one either. <laughs> Mr. Haney, and he spoke like that when you listen to it. He spoke like that in oh, real life. That's, that's so how good. he sounded. That... And I uh, remember, um, and he was a stand-up for years. He was a vaudevillian, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I uh, met him at the uh, at L.A. Studios here. Oh God, had to be close to twenty-five years ago, and. Mm-hmm. He was sitting in the waiting room, and I, uh, I was literally doing uh, a direct-to-video thing for Disney, where I played his character in um, Fox and Hounds Two. Oh, okay. He played a character called Chief. That's right. And uh, I saw him out there in the lobby, and I just said, "Mr. Buttram, it is such a pleasure to meet you." And I, I don't know you, but I'm a huge fan. And I said, "I have to be honest with you, sir. I, <clears throat> I've stolen your voice, and I'm." I'm, you know, I'm very grateful. He said, well, that's all right, son. I ain't using it much no more. <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to keep chatting with him. And I said, you know, he probably was in his 80s uh-huh. at the time. And, and I said, uh, gosh, such a pleasure talking. How how are you? You look great. Are you, how are things in your life these days? And he said, man, I'm great. I just met me a $5 hooker who validates. <laughs> so he clearly had all these great had him in his back Bits, pocket. Yeah, oh. shoved into his back pocket. Yeah. I can't. I, that, I, that makes me want to listen. I, I, oh, I didn't you know gotta put it on the table, man. <clears throat> I didn't know he did stand up or anything. Oh like yeah, he that was. A, he used to be Gene Autry's until, uh, sidekick in the. Oh, that's crazy. 40s. That makes sense. Yeah. The one keystone I've had for him is always a really inappropriate line, so you can't do it in mixed company. It's it's from Back to the Future Three. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because he, he says he says something mildly racist in it. Well, he does, and of course, back then, you know, they they took a lot of liberties. Oh yeah, sure. Um, Even and, in Back uh, to the Future Three. Yeah, 
But he, oh, he was great. He's Incredible. Brilliant. Um, this one is just, oh, you know, Peter, I haven't listened to this either, but Peter Sellers is on this. Uh, um, I, like I you, you mentioned, mentioned earlier, he was a direct influence. I, I'm, in fact, I remember when he died, um, it was probably 1980, 81, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, I was not inconsolable, but I was bummed for a couple of weeks because when I came out here, I thought, all right, someday I want to work with Jonathan Winters. Yep. John Cleese, mm-hmm. Michael Palin, and Peter Sellers. Yeah. And uh, when Peter died, I thought, well, gosh, there goes that. But, oh, my goodness, what a talent. I have a four-CD collection called The Celebration of Sellers. Yes, okay, yeah. Oh, my God. You guys out there, you get it. It's really, every time I think I'm pretty good at my job, I listen to that. Yeah, yeah. And these are stuff from the 40s and 50s and 60s that a lot of it, a lot of music, songs mm-hmm. he wrote, um, performing with Sophia Loren and oh other well-known actors and actresses. Um, just utterly brilliant. Uh, and I was familiar with him before all the Pink Panther movies because he was mm-hmm. uh, he was in The Goons yeah. with Harry Seacombe. And, How um, are you getting... Ex- I don't mean to interrupt, but no, I hear this all. a lot from Americans. Like Phil Proctor, they just had a 50th anniversary of the fire sign. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get to ask him any questions. So... How did you discover the goons? How are they coming over here? I discovered the goons um, kind of tangentially through my... Uh, that's a great word, isn't it? Tangentially? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Daffy Duck, that's tangentially. How the hell am I supposed to say tangentially? You're despicable and tangential. Um, tangential meditation. I, um, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Lilu. I... Um, I think because it was kind of like a, I got a big Python fan, and I don't even remember how. I think I had a British friend mm-hmm. who said, "Well, if you like the Pythons, you'll like Kenneth Williams, and uh, um, you know who Peter Sellers is. He was in a group called the Goons with Spike Milligan, and there uh, Anthony Hancock, Tony Hancock. So all these British comics." over and above the pythons mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how i learned about the goons um i don't ever remember because we didn't have bbc america and the and the sure, plethora of sure. channels to choose from the pythons were always on you know got ended up being on television on pbs i think yeah, yeah. when i was a kid uh, but um uh it was when i moved to la I had much more access to like tower records and big record stores that had imports all over the place. Okay, and, sure. And so then I could buy um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore doing Derek and Clive. Mm-hmm. I could buy uh, The Goons. I could buy Anthony Hancock, Kenneth Williams. Then I realized that all these people had on-camera careers too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we knew about Peter Sellers doing Pink Panther, but um, there are these a series of films called the Carry On films yes. in which um, Tony Hancock, um, Spike Milligan... Um, uh, Kenneth Williams, Hattie Jakes, Charles Hawtrey—they all performed in these Carry On movies mm-hmm. at various, um, for various, at various different points in their careers, and so then I it just sort of fed the beast. Yeah, and um, all incredibly funny, smart, um, and and uh, just another way to another influence and another way to another frankly other group of actors to steal stuff from sure and and pad my own gigs with you know yeah 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 um and uh yeah and to this day still I will listen to Peter Sellers and and the goons and uh 
boy, and uh, Jasper Carrot, mm-hmm. um, um, Ronnie Corbett, the two Ronnies. Sure. Um, Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett. Um, uh, oh gosh, the um, who's the uh, Billy Connolly? Sure, sure, sure. All those guys, I, I got to be a fan of all of them, and they were very influential. But Peter Sellers in particular, and Peter Ustinov, oh, both. Yeah. Peter Ustinov was not a comedian, but boy, was he good with his voice. He oh used to. Oh my God! And they were all educated in not only British theater but British radio, BBC right. Radio. Right. Yeah. We did. Um, we we did uh, one of Peter Ustinov's uh, albums yeah, yeah. on here once. We're just you're just doing car noises for most of it. Crazy car noises and comedy. Well, and, 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 and Mel Blanc. Yeah. Mel Blanc was on you know Jack Benny's show sure. on radio and used to do horses and car starting and oh, and. Uh, a million things and I had the great privilege of working with Mr. Blank once or twice really? I think uh, at Hanna-Barbera he was in his 80s on you know on oxygen then he would go out between breaks and between and step outside and have a cigarette of course typically of course. Uh, but I remember sitting next to him at Hanna-Barbera and I mustered up the courage to say Mr. Blank it's such a pleasure <clears throat> nice to meet you yeah man you know, thank you very much and <clears throat> If it's not a big deal, would you? And before I could get it out of my mouth, he just said, "Yeah, what's up, Doc?" And Jesus, man, it was just crazy, shivering, mind blowing, you know. And yeah. so now, I get a small inkling of what that's like when I get to meet sure. people, and I say, "Narf," they just they do that. They just smile, and yeah. it makes them so happy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, when Bugs Bunny starts talking to you, man, it it was holy shit. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> and uh, same with with um. The same with uh, uh, um, June. Mm-hmm. I had June on my podcast, and um, I said, "Would you do me a favor, June? Would you please, in Rocky's voice, ask me, uh, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering?" <laughs> so, Hokey Smoke, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm saying? Well, I think so, Rocky. But um, why exactly does Boo Winkle? <laughs> and she's laughed and was sweet. And my God, it's Rocky, oh. and it's Natasha talking to me out of this. Four foot tall woman. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, yeah, I I I am um, incredibly fortunate, and I'm actually going to start writing a book because I think I've been around so much now that I have, I have an interesting story, and a lot mm-hmm. of these people are starting to you know check out. Of course, yeah. And um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable to think back and go, wow, we I I've gotten to work with Dick Van Dyke and yeah. Rosemarie and and. Uh, uh, um, Carl Reiner and mm-hmm. oh my God, all the people we've just discussed—it's—it it's never gets old. She's one of the few people still around who worked with Freeberg in his prime in too, his which prime. is you know, and that's like uh, the history of the United States. Sure, and, I, and there was another fantastic. album. That, yeah, I oh, was quite aware of that so record, good. Stan Freeberg stuff. And I, Paul Freeze is on that too, right? He is. Paul Freeze, Chuck McCann, Chuck McCann. Also, I've had Chuck on my podcast. Have you? Yep. God, and I, I um, another He's, guy, I, I see Chuck usually two or three times a year, mm-hmm. but I had had him on my podcast. Just delightful. Uh, He's I worked the only guy with, left um, from the first family. I should point out. Oh That's, yeah, yeah. I worked when I remember that album too. I re, I worked with Stan Freeberg two or three times. Yeah, and oh. his son. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Stan just died. What a couple of years ago? I yeah, think. year yeah. and a half, two years ago. Yeah. yeah. So well, you know, June's going to be a hundred. So That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Have you ever seen? There is a video that if you watch the special features on uh, Doctor Strange Love, it's Peter Sellers in his military outfit. And they say we we hear you that you can you know uh, uh, 
sort of geographically do every English or British accent. Yeah. And he just goes around the map. The map of the map order, of, of UK. Talking, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Have you it's ever crazy. seen it? I haven't. I will though because it's, I have Doctor Strange Love. Um, it's one of my probably my favorite movie. It's one of the top five movies ever in my life. Yeah. I, I love love that movie and um but i don't know if that particular thing is on the dvd extra so i'll check yeah. i haven't even looked at it it's on the, the copy i have from a few years ago and it's just i i just i you just want to sit and watch it great well i'll day. check it out when i get home because i i, I have a copy but it's i've had it for a long time mm -hmm. so maybe this is a newer release but but boy oh boy i would love to hear that because his dialects were just perfect yeah seamless yeah you got and, the impression you could give him a neighborhood, and he yeah, could get, well, you know. the way he did, yeah, that specific, and man, and Doctor Strangelove, what a tour de force, mm -hmm. and that whole scene where he's talking to Dimitri, the Russian president, <laughs> or the Russian <laughs> premier, on the phone. I know Dimitri. Well, I can be just as upset as you are. Yeah, Dimitri, we've had a bit of a mishap. Now, you know, <laughs> settle down, and you know, well, apparently we've launched some missiles at you. I know it's very disturbing, <laughs> Dimitri, but at that, and then you know, having the. And I stole Dr. Scratch and Sniff on Animaniacs. I totally lifted that from from uh, Peter Sellers That's from Dr. Strange. Perfect. You know, I was absolutely stole that from Peter Sellers without question. But, uh, oh, yeah, man, what an inspiration. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, this is one I haven't listened to yet. This one right here, which is Frank Welker's album. Oh, oh I don't have that. But Frank, I know I've, I've got, I've been, let me see that. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've that's another to, one I can record and send to you if you yeah, like. Yeah, he... Uh, I have. Um, I'm just kind of saving it for if he ever does. I've show. been to Frank. That's him at the Hollywood Bowl, I think. Mm -hmm. I've been to Frank. Uh, he's got this on his wall at his house. Mm -hmm. He lives about. He actually find found our home for us. I live in Agoura Hills, and Frank lives five minutes from me. And um, he actually found our home for us 27 years ago. Wow. Frank and I have been golf buddies for 30, almost 30 years, and he's one of my dearest friends. And he's got this on his wall. Um, but I've had other people, when I go around the um, country, bring that and say, do you know if Mr. Welker say, you know, will sign this? And I said, I, if you can get it to him, I think he would. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, boy, that's a great, he, he's oh, remarkable. He used to have a bit on his stand-up where he would mm -hmm. do the same thing only with the television. And he would uh, sit there with a remote control in his hand <laughs> and just turn on the TV. Yeah. And he would even have an audience member come up and say, plug in the TV, <laughs> you turn it on, just so you know that there's nothing recorded. And then he would just go from channel to channel to channel to channel, and whatever was on, he would have the sound turned down. But he would just do, he would just do the characters on whatever was happening, whether it was news oh or a Korean soap opera, or you know, G, uh, QVC. Mm -hmm. Frank would just improvise whatever people were speaking, and it was absolutely God. fantastic. See, that's again, that's a mind that is hidden behind all these voices. That oh yeah, I it's, feel like it, you can't teach that. Yeah, it's it's it's. It's a it's a gift, but but again the, the the bigger gift is that here's a guy who is able to entertain so many people for so long. I mean he was the original voice on Freddy of Scooby Doo in the in the sixties. Yeah, Frank's ten years older than I am. Yeah, yeah, still working every day. Hurts my brain. Uh, yeah, and um, hurts my pinky, as it were. <laughs> um, but he's just also just the sweetest, nicest guy. Yeah, you know, and and that, that's a, that that just makes for a really great combination. I think of all things, I think I learned old man voice from him. His is my favorite old man voice yeah. of all time. Well, he sort can do them. Back and of the throat, wispy. I don't yeah. know what it is. He Nobody used to does do that. that. We did a show. We used to do a show at Warner Brothers called uh, Hysteria. That was, that's where I got it right. from. And he did Father Time. Yep, that's exactly the right. voice where I got it from. Right. I was like, 
Yeah. And it was great. Oh, great voice. That was a wonderful show. Also completely underrated. Very clever. I, and I, I think the only reason that it and another one we all worked on together called Tasmania uh -huh. was very clever. But I And it was all in the same time of that sort of second golden age of Warner Brothers animation with mm -hmm. Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and, and Freakazoid and Batman and all that. Um, I think the only reason it didn't get as much attention was because they weren't produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. But they were very good. Yeah. Uh, Taz was excellent. Had Maurice, Debbie Derryberry, um, uh, oh gosh, um, losing my train of thought here. Um, Miriam Flynn, myself, uh, Dan Castellaneta, oh, um, Jim okay. Cummings, mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, Hysteria, Tress McNeil, Billy West, mm -hmm. Frank, Jeff Bennett, uh, really incredible, good, Cree Summer, great group of people. Whereas Animaniacs was a nice gateway for kids into like Marx Brothers or something, yeah. this is a perfect gateway into Goons and Monty Python. Absolutely. So Boy, perfect. good for you. You you, know? you nailed it. That's exactly right. And Love we were totally show. aware of that when it was being done. Sure. Tom Ruger, again, was the you know the executive on all those shows and was the reason that a lot of that stuff got done the way it did. I've tried to pitch history comedy and stuff uh, since, and just nobody is smart Yeah, and when I was it. a kid, I used to love um, Peabody and Sherman. Sure. It was a, you know, and then I did a, a one season of a show that was similar to that. It was, I thought, very funny, but also underrated at Cartoon Network called Time Squad. Mm -hmm. And it was myself, Mark Hamill, and um, Pam Siegel, who's Pam Adlon now. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, the three of us were time travelers and every week we you know have Eli Whitney in the cotton gin or um, you know Abraham Lincoln or whatever or Archimedes and his aquatic principles and they were brought in you know whether it was Jim Meskimen or Corey Burton or uh, they would have a, a really top drawer actor come in and, and it was very funny if you get a chance look it up on I think, I think all the episodes are online it's called Time Squad okay and um, Mark plays this very effete robot called Larry Larry 360 or something and Pam <laughs> is a little boy named Elliot mm -hmm. and I play this uh, intergalactic cop called Buck Tud Russell <laughs> and I got a voice like this and then they lowered it and it makes me sound all big ass and mm -hmm. badass and, um, but it was a very clever show I thought yeah but uh, yeah Hysteria was really good it was brilliant it was brilliant I didn't know Hans Conrad was going to come up mm. But I had to buy this like, I just loved a few months him. ago. What a vo what an actor! This is Peter and the Wolf. Oh, great! But him obviously doing all the, you know, him doing the voices, but with jazz, with Dixieland as yeah. the. Yeah, it's so fucking. And when you hear it's like Hans really Conrad, to a lot of people, he's been gone for a long time, but he was sure. on Hoppity Hooper, um, and uh, a lot of stuff on Captain Hook, like right? Reason. Captain Hook. That's Corey Burton now does ago. Captain Hook for Disney, and. He does the absolute best um, version of Hans Conrad I've ever, you know, Hoppity Hooper and Captain Hook and Pan. I mean, he's really good. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, he, Mr. Conrad, uh, and if you look back at movies from the 30s and 40s, he mm -hmm. was all over the place, a really good character actor. Yeah. But in Fractured Flickers, Fractured Fairy Tales, Rocking Bullwinkle, That's right. yeah, a lot of God. other stuff, Hans Conrad was all over that. This might be one of my favorite covers of all time. Yeah, too, by the way, they were, and that's a lost art too because, I you know a, a lot when I was a kid I'm a huge rock and roll fan, big part of my life and, um, part of the excitement of a new 
Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin record or 10CC or whatever, where the new um, the new cover shot by Hypnosis, mm-hmm. or, you know, new, really crazy uh, Super Tramp would always come up with cool oh, covers. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. That's true. Um, well, I don't want to keep you any longer, uh, but I would, is there any, I don't know when this is going to come out, but is there anything coming up that you want to tell people about or tell Gosh, them about Twitter, um, all that good stuff? Well, yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Yakko Pinky, mm-hmm. Y-A-K-K-O-P-I-N-K-Y, all, all, uh, one word. Um, you can find me, uh, on Facebook, mm-hmm. Rob Paulson. Um, you can find me. Um, on uh, Instagram, Rob underscore Paulson. Mm-hmm. And um, I still have not quite learned how to handle Snapchat, but I'm bound to determine that that's going to be my New Year's revolution. All right. And um, I, uh, I do have a podcast, which you were kind enough to um, uh, allude to. It's called Talkin' Tunes, T-A-L-K-I-N apostrophe T-O-O-N-S. And um, for those of you listening to this fabulous podcast, to the extent you're interested in uh, many of the people whom we've spoken about and a lot whom we haven't, uh, only because we don't have the time, but all of the people we've alluded to, save for the ones who passed away, have been on my podcast often more than once. Mm-hmm. It's free. You can find it on iTunes. If you're interested in, in voice acting as a career or, or hearing from the, I mean, the people who are the best of the best and how they did it and how they got there and what they do to keep them ch- their chops sharp. You can hear that. And, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's very entertaining. Um, it's just like what Jason and I are doing here. We, you know, it's a couple of white guys or black guys in the sense, in the case of, uh, Kevin, um, sitting around chatting, uh, or girls, you know, Tara Strong and Tress McNeil, Lorraine Newman, um, Pam Siegel, uh, uh, April Winchell, all really gifted, lovely people, and and they're just so funny. Yeah. Um, and we get a chance to discuss what we do, and so check it out. Yeah. Um, we still get a we we are uh, for those who know that we've done the show and we have not done it for almost a year. Um, oh, what the hell! I'm telling people now anyway because everything is everything's good. But uh, in February of this year, I was diagnosed with stage three throat cancer. Mm-hmm. Um. I am fine. Good. They told me at the beginning of the treatment that, look, you're going to die someday, but probably not from throat cancer because mm-hmm. we can cure you. Good. They said the treatment's going to kick your ass, and, but we're pretty sure we can spare your throat, and God bless it, they did. Wow. So I'm a very, very lucky man, but that was pretty much the reason that I couldn't keep the podcast up for a while because the, the radiation really takes it out of you, and I, I lost a bunch of weight and all of that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk very well for a while. So I just decided to... Uh, and try to get back to work, which I have. And the podcast, we've taken the time to retool it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be back. Um, stay tuned, T-O-O-N-E-D, and mm-hmm. we will be doing more of those. But the cool thing is uh, we came to find that people are still finding out about the podcast. Yeah. And we still get a number of thousands of people who listen to it, um, even though we haven't done a new one since December of last year. Yeah, as you should. It's well, thanks, great. Man. I mean, it's I educational that. as well as like, Listening to you guys fuck around is really pleasant. Thank honestly, you. you know. Well, it's, I'll tell you what, it's hard not to be because when you got the people we've been discussing in a room with you, yeah, it's a no-brainer. They're so good, and they can't resist the opportunity to just riff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check out the podcast, and um, hopefully you'll be, you'll enjoy it. And uh, when I think we did 130 or 135 of them, so 
when you get to the end of them, the, rest assured that there will be more. But uh, it wasn't that I didn't want to do it or I was tired of it. It was strictly because I had this issue in which I was being treated for a few months for this cancer stuff. Um, but now I'm, I'm fine. And the gift uh, from all of it, uh, in addition to all the many gifts that I blessings, trust me, I, 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 I was very grateful before I was diagnosed um, because I know how lucky I am. But now, having gone through the whole cancer thing, I have a sense of empathy that I never would have had had I not gone through that. Yeah. And so it, it, was, it, it ultimately is a gift to be able to um, share that with other people. And you never know when you're going to be sitting across from somebody or meet somebody. Um, and it happened to me already uh, uh, at a personal appearance in Toronto a couple months ago. Young woman, beautiful young lady came up probably about your age, mm -hmm. mid-30s. Waited forever. A huge crowd waited for in line forever and got up to and she had some turtle stuff for me to sign and she walked up to me uh, I shook her hand and she started crying and I said oh honey my dear what I'm so sorry no 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 this is a good tears and I said well it's not like meeting Justin Timberlake honey come on you gotta you gotta aim higher than this if, if a skinny old white guy gets you excited you know you please you gotta you gotta stop drinking what you're drinking or drink something else <laughs> she said no can i give you a hug and i said of course so i stepped out from behind my table and we chatted and she said kind of alluding to th this is about what we were speaking about a bit earlier on your show she said no i my brother nick uh was a, a big ninja turtle freak when he was 11 years 11 12 13 and uh he had Le um, leukemia mm -hmm. and um or no, lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's non -Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he would not allow his doctors to treat him unless uh, his unless our parents let him wear his turtle mask or his turtle T-shirt, you mm -hmm. know, because that gave him the power to fight the cancer. Obviously, at 11, he knew that there was something. He wasn't a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. He was cognizant that this is something that was bad. But... The turtles and the belief that he got that uh, wearing the turtle gear mm -hmm. gave him, you know, that ninja ability to fight the bad guy was so important to him. And the doctors and, our, and my parents said, absolutely, Nick. And she said, so you don't know what Ninja Turtles meant. It was way more than an action figure, way mm -hmm. more than a, than a TV show. And of course, I, I didn't know that. Um, so we were chatting and she was just telling me this great story. And I said, how is your brother? She said, well, he didn't make it. He mm -hmm. didn't get past, he'd made it, he died when he was 13. Jeez. But the meeting you and hearing you do that voice, I just had to share that story with you. And of course, I was then able to relate my own uh, tap dance with cancer mm -hmm. and say, wow, you know, that old phrase that there are no accidents Mm -hmm. I mean, you drove all this way from wherever you live in Ontario to Toronto, parked your car, bought a ticket. I flew from Los Angeles, and here we are, and we have this five minutes together. Yeah. And you are telling me the story about your beautiful brother, and I will never forget you. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Because of this connection. And so uh, it, it can never be underestimated. I'm sorry, it can never be overestimated the extent to which a lot of um, this stuff you know has an effect on people and all of us you and your beautiful wife and we all have this opportunity irrespective 
of what it is we do for a living or how we affect people, you never know when the smallest kindness that you do will have this butterfly effect on people. Mm -hmm. And you just really don't. So the lesson is don't underestimate your, uh, your ability to be a change for good. Yeah. Um, I have a platform that is bigger than most, but I'll tell you what, I don't take it for granted and even more now because I know that my work is going to be affecting somebody in a positive way. And that person may then go on to be whatever, a doctor, yeah. performer, and say, wow, I'm going to pay it forward and they're going to pay it forward. You just never know. Yeah. So uh, on that happy note, I would like to thank you very much for having me on your show and you uh, Merry Christmas. Well, thank you. It's um, my pleasure. And thank you all for listening and and uh, maybe I'll see you somewhere in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, or somewhere. You never know. <laughs> but uh, thank you, man. It's been a real honor being on your show. This is so much fun. Thank you very much. Not at all. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I will post uh, links and stuff uh, about these albums that we very briefly discussed because, Please you know, why do. as well? Because these will be fun. And then I'll send them to you and you can give them a listen. You know? I will. Um, thank you guys for listening. As I said, uh, go to lookingforwardmovie.com. That is a movie that I made throughout all of this year. Eight months worth of blogs. It'll be turned into a movie next year. Cool. I should actually promote the movie that's coming out on DV on DVD. Oh, on let me know 6th. too. I'll tweet and I'll tweet any of it out for you. Well, that's very kind yeah. of you. Um, my first documentary feature comes out December sixth next week. Um, wow. On yeah, DVD. no kidding. Congratulations, and, uh, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, and that's about it, I guess. Uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. <laughs>